So I am going to look at um, reasons with regards to marriage and the Catholic way for that. I have been listening because obviously I'm discerning further. I don't know, this must be <clears throat> for the saviour and the saving of all people. And this will be a really huge um, thing, not just for me, but I do believe that this is always for the entire world, whatever I go through, because every single thing that I feel in the Holy Spirit is important. Um, and when I follow that, the entire world follow after. Um, and then I know it's confirmed in the Spirit, because simply I don't, I don't even need to argue about what I'm doing. I just need to do it and people will follow it. Um, and that's because it's a spiritual thing. It's the Holy Ghost. And um, as Jesus says, uh, his sheep hear his call and they understand and they, they follow him. So it's more a communion with the Spirit and a group of people in that communion, that awareness, that understanding that will then live out their lives in that way. And then you see a huge movement, like the vegan movement. Now, okay, fair enough. Certain people have followed that for other reasons and for very different reasons. But the main reason um, for me through the unity of the Holy Spirit isn't anything to do with um, cleanliness or uncleanliness of um, of something. Um, in other words, going back to the time where um, Peter wouldn't eat certain things, certain things went past his lips because that was just like a ritualistic um, way for him. It wasn't about the heart and the soul or the emotions or the fact that this these creatures um, actually had a soul. And so it wasn't for that reason that Peter did that. So he was... It was basically a matter for him of what was ritually clean and unclean in terms of like rituals. So it was a Jewish thing. It was like a, um, not just a tradition, it was a rule and regulation. And so we understand that God um, intercepts there and says, who are you to say what's clean and unclean? So no, it's uh, the vegan movement isn't anything to do with what's ritually clean or what's ritually unclean. It's nothing to do with that. Okay, people are going to associate that with it. They're going to think, oh, that's disgusting. That is fair enough. They will think that, but that's not the main reason that people are um, in the vegan movement. The vegan movement um, came to me through the power of the Holy Spirit extremely strongly. Um, and so uh, in questioning that, because I do know that obviously throughout the Bible in the early days, way over 2000 years ago, people were um, eating meat and things like that. And um, they had um, had this kind of like, communion with God which allowed for that now this all happened because of the fall when they were in the garden of Eden we know that nobody was eating each other <laughs> because there wasn't any sin at that point and so they weren't used to offering up sacrifices like sins of the first sacrifice and came obviously when you know Adam and Eve fell 
and they all of a sudden realised that they were naked and they were ashamed. So the, the first sin is that of eating from the tree of what's right and wrong. So they became like God and they became super aware of everything. And that is a progression of life until we are back up into unity um, from the path of all this wisdom that we gather, etc. Um, so it's, it's a path of simplifying things back down and also getting back to Eden. Now, I didn't look at it that way when I first was um, convicted through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I wasn't convicted in a human way, but in, a, in my soul, I knew that this wasn't right to be going around trampling all over everything and just eating animals, just going left, right and centre. It was wild and chaotic and I did not know. I was even going to rugby. I was a very, um, okay, not always entirely. Obviously, every single person's got male and female in them, but as very female in many other ways. All of a sudden, I had um, got to a point in my unity, um, obviously with God, that's what's going to happen. Um, but I'd got to the point where I was so bold and I'm attending rugby now. I'm not saying that's a terrible thing. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is, is that was the progression of my life. I'm actually attending things like this, involved quite highly with the teams and just, you know, going there. And I just remember having like all our snacks in front of us and it was literally the word savage would come to mind almost, even although we were part of at the time, like, you know, very kind of like um, my daughter was attending a private school. We were doing um, things which in, in other ways were very, very and um, full of reverence and respect. There was that side of us, you know, enjoying these team sports and quite literally the carnage of that was also reflected in what I was eating and how um how bold I was and how I was behaving. I had no idea um about the levels I had actually like achieved and got to until just one time it just came to me. What are you doing? And it was just the fact that I was just so like I had so much energy so exuberant and again there's nothing wrong with that but it's the way in which I was using it and I thought hmm I've got to do something to change um this and that was what I could see was that the way that the least of them were being treated in other words the animals had to improve and I had to be a guardian and understand it you know, even although I had been given what had seemed like things to eat all my life, just because I was brought up that way didn't mean to say that it was right and it was actually causing an impact on my life and a cyclical um, type of nature within me, which just seemed a little bit... It wasn't allowing for um, me to be reciprocal to God in other words, it was full up with um, a boldness which was connected to the grace of God, fair enough, unquestionably. But I wasn't aware or as aware and I needed to become more aware of my thoughts, words, deeds and actions, I felt. And I wanted to really commit to that. And I found myself going through what seemed like um, times of deep um, penance or repentance and I didn't even know really that's what I was, um, I, I didn't talk about it in that way. I didn't intellectualize it. It just happened naturally. 
And I just remember like cleaning the floors and things like that. And, you know, like just feeling um, upset about these different things. And I remember seeing on the radiator, you know, my son, that was just the name of the, um, obviously the company, but that's what, you know, I saw when I was actually like first sort of like weeping about, um, you know, the entire animal thing and the need for veganism and the way that my life had gone. And that was what I saw. And I knew right then and there that it was a powerful breakthrough. There was lots of things that would happen supernaturally. <clears throat> the power even cut off and things like that. Or I said that and then the entire power and the entire town cut off. I don't know if it was even Scotland, but, you know, it was to that point. Things were happening that were huge to get this wake up call. And it was like, God was speaking to me. Yes, what you do is very powerful. You ha can call power on or off. It is so powerful. And <clears throat> in terms of like, you know, electricity and stuff, but there's the power of God. That is what's in you. So you need to be careful with your thoughts, words, deeds and actions because they impact my entire creation. And I'm like, wow. So that in itself, you know, you have to go through this um, journey to really understand and actually to believe that. And it's a, it's um, very important. And that's why I put so much emphasis into um, people's self-empowerment because it's only through a lack of empowerment or a lack of faith or belief in how we impact each other that, that can impact each other negatively. And it's only through understanding our own empowerment is our ability to um, affect change that can actually make positive differences in the lives of everyone. And so empowerment is absolutely vital, not just for the individual person, but for every single entirety of Jesus Christ, God's creation. But it is it is a process in that. And so in any case... Um, we're going to look at marriage and Hebrews. How on earth did we go from that to that? Okay, oh yes, so movement, movements, that's what it is. So I know that because I'm listening to God and I know that that's in communion with um, those that are hearing the spirit of God, they're going to follow. Um, you know, there's a huge vegan movement. So I know that what I do with regards to marriage is going to be a huge movement too. And what I'm really... <clears throat> concern mostly about is how it impacts the least of them so how it impacts children how it impacts my offspring is even more of um more of a concern to me than anything else and that's why I'm so um boldly wanting to to find out about things and to make sure that I am doing the right thing in every way because I know it's going to catch on and it'll impact the entire world of the entire world's impacted, I want to make sure it's a really good world for my offspring. So clearly, there's nothing more important than that. And we must devote our time um, and attention to all these matters to make sure we're doing the best that we can. As a spiritual mother, as well as, um, you know, a physical mother or whoever, we all need this. And of course, <clears throat> especially um, fathers because they are to be the head of um, the families so it's a very important matter now yesterday when I was um, writing basically to um, <clears throat> divine mercy <clears throat> 
online. They had a great YouTube video which was such a gift. It was really long and I just knew I felt the Holy Spirit upon this that, you know, this was something that I was to engage with and to um to be involved with and I knew that the person that was placing out all the information was doing it to the best of their ability um, with the best of their heart and soul to do what they could within the awareness that they had and within the level of communion they have with the Holy Ghost um, or otherwise. And so I knew that it was the right thing to do to engage in this piece. <clears throat> and I wrote... Now, it was, it was a video on marriage. It was also on divorce and annulments. And the entire video goes through many different sections. So I'm going to stop this and then I'm going to make this into one section and then we're going to split um, this up into the, um, the ideas and the values and the law on that level. <clears throat> with the church and then we're going to look at divine law and we're going to look at um what God is saying to me as I have the high priest over my temple over myself or in myself because of the communion with God so we'll look at all these aspects our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive each other. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. So the video I'm just going to see, um, I might have to, can't go on YouTube, but I'll probably cut this off in any case. The video was all about ascertaining what marriage was, what makes a marriage legal and um or what makes it valid rather in the eyes of the catholic church um basically um the catholic church would state that they believe their legal superiority and authority over pretty much everything in life in terms of marriage and every single area well, for me, um, as someone who ha- is the house of God and who has um, the high priest over my house, I don't believe that is true. Um, I believe very much with the authority of God that I am justified through God and that God is the one and <laughs> the only. And I very much believe in commandment number one for this. However, I do believe that there is a lot of goodness in the Catholic Church. And I do believe that the want in order to shepherd the flock as best as possible in order to protect them is a very good value. And um, a lot of the the other values that um, the Catholic Church talk about are very, very good. I absolutely agree with this. However... There is one element in this, in the entire of Catholicism, which renders the entire structure almost just, you know, not entirely false, but just like, okay, it's a lovely idea. However, 
you are not coming from a place where you believe in Jesus Christ. So we can't really allow a church or a hierarchy or anything else to rule over people, especially where there is a lacking in Christ. So we're looking at two points. We're looking at Christ and the belief in Christ. And you're looking at the antithesis of antithesis of that, which is antichrist and a lack of belief in Christ. Some believe in Christ that are antichrist. They do believe and they're dead set against, but others do not believe and are actually therefore enemies of Christ because they don't um, believe and they don't accept Jesus Christ on the cross was the final sacrifice. So if you're in that arena, that is seen as the enemy of Christ or the Antichrist. We cannot allow the Antichrist to rule our world ever. (laughs) So that's point number one. So that's very important. Um, Hebrews 10 is where it comes from. And um, basically it is this. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. He's taken away the need for all these sins to fulfill the law. He has established the law. But those that do not believe in Christ cannot believe that he has established the law. Therefore, they need to be in some kind of law and some kind of boundaries therein, which would be, for example, the Catholic Church and canonical law, which is... Yes, it's, it's a lot of it's very, very good. But that's there because of people's unbelief. Again, then said he, Lo, I become to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. So For believers, the Catholic Church is not for you. The Catholic Church is for those who are in unbelief and are non-believers of Christ. However, it's a very good place to, in many ways, um, you know, learn and to ascend from. That's why when people are Reformed, they are both Catholic and Reformed. You have to understand Um, the basis of everything before you can um, ascend and become a true believer or some of course are just come in with full belief because they haven't had that separation but if there's a separation and there is a true desire to know Jesus and to believe in Jesus then of course the Catholic Church and um, the the many different laws can help um, to to come into accordance and in alignment with God but it is not for those who are in belief. It's not for those. Because remember, those that are in belief understand that Jesus 
said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. So the law of Moses, the old laws, all the the, um, laws connected to unbelief, all those connected to constant sacrificing, to constant re-representation of even the sacrifice because there isn't a belief in the final sacrifice. So that as a reminder is, is done time and time again to bring people into remembrance because they're not believers. However, for the believers that understand, lo, I come to do thy will, O God, he take the way the first that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once and for all. We are sanctified in his offering once and for all. That means we don't need to re-represent or we don't need to ongoingly have it re-represented in front of us or to be like that because we are believers of Christ and we're in Christ. And when Christ's Holy Spirit dwells in us, we are sanctified by Christ's once and for all offering, his once and for all sacrifice. It doesn't need to be done again and again. So those that are doing it again and again or having it represented in front of them may have, is it short-term memory loss or something? I don't know. But something like that, long-term and short-term memory loss, in which case the devil is attacking them a lot. They're needing to have the reminder constantly during a mass. Some maybe need it once a week. Some need it every single day. Okay. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. So his enemies are those that aren't in Christ. They are the Antichrist. They're not in Christ. They don't accept his sacrifice. Um, in other words, they've chosen to be in sin. They've chosen to disobediently ignore God. And maybe they were even um, what you would call those who put Christ on the cross because they're constantly doing it over and over again. So by that, they are his enemies. And he is waiting and they will all be put under his feet. That's the thing. But do we want to be enemies of Christ until we're put under his feet. No, we want to be under him now in terms of we want him to be working through us, through us, not just to the point of being over us um, in terms of like um, an overlord or, um, you know, in such a strict way. We want to be able to be reciprocating and in a good communion that's readily available if you're not in a good communion that's readily available, you will look to outside sources. So other people, um, the co- uh, you know, obviously um, another priest or someone above you, um, there'll always be hierarchical steps there, um, before you get to God um, that you will see as being above you. So that is the place of a non-believer, of someone that needs a lot of structure. They don't have the presence of God above them. It's not above their house. In other words, it's not above their body because they haven't accepted the Holy Spirit. Okay, with that being said, we're going to look at um, how though there are, you know, deep truths in certainly the law as it is established um, and 
you know, what this actually means and how it's reflected out. Um, then we're going to look at, as I say, and what the Holy Spirit has to say about all of it. Okay, I might intercept straight away as soon as, you know, I feel called to do so by God. So for a marriage to be valid, the Catholic Church states, it has to have a canonical canonical form. That's number one. It must be in the church, the Catholic Church. Okay, so this is the Catholic um, perspective on the validity of marriage. Okay, so we're going to look at Mary and Joseph. Now, for me, Mary and Joseph are the ultimate in terms of um, who we look to for authority. We look to authority first for God, but God works through Mary and Joseph, right? So I'm talking about structure in terms of who we look to in terms of structure for the perfect marriage. Now, I don't put Mary and Joseph as being the be-all and end-all, but we do look to them as a great example because God worked through their lives. They didn't have another church. They didn't use anyone else as, um, you know, above them. They were justified by God and God alone. They put God first, the commandment one. So no, I don't believe number one is appropriate because that would suggest that although it might be legal by Catholic um, or it might be lawful in their eyes, it would be unlawful in terms of um, commandment one because it wouldn't be putting God first and you would be kind of saying God you've um told me what I believe is right and that I you know me and my um husband are legally bound together by you and your justification through the Holy Ghost is justification enough Paul also says that in Galatians, you know, uh, people that want you to become circumcised, in other words, uh, that want you to do something for the sake of their traditions or their law, um, like, for example, it must be done this way by the church's law, um, you know, an act of the flesh is just glorification in the flesh to prevent their persecution um, for the cross of Jesus Christ and to justify themselves that if you do this it kind of justifies our sinning it kind of justifies us putting others and putting humans and other idols ahead of god so i would say that makes it illegal in many ways with god because you're kind of putting like a middleman you're putting someone else it's more important you're doing it for idols for you know human beings you're making them or the church your idol and you're not to have any idols um you're only to have god and that is the first commandment. So this is like a grave offence. Two, they must freely and knowingly choose it. Consent. Okay. So if God says to you, um, number one, um, I have justified you and I, I believe that you should go into the church and have it witnessed in that way. That I don't think would be a grave offence because you would have the word from God that that's what you're supposed to do. And therefore, with that, you would also have in your own awareness that you're consenting to it. So it's all about putting God first and making sure that you know that you're you're justified by God alone through the Holy Spirit. 
that's the only altar that's actually authorised. So if you, for example, it would be highly illegal to go to a church just for the sake of justifying your marriage when you knew that it wasn't the right person, that God didn't bring you together, but you just thought, well, it'll make it legal if I do this in church. It's not by works, it's by faith. Faith without works is dead. So you've got to do things by God through the faith of God, but it's not the works first. It's not the things of the world first. It is not the efforts first. It's through God and faith in God that everything should come thereafter from. So in any case, most parties uh, in anything, um, first of all, obviously Mary and Joseph um, were justified by God alone. So they're the perfect example um, of a marriage that were that's justified by God alone. They both consented, so they understood you must freely and knowingly choose it and consent. So in any case, this does reflect um the the marriage of Mary and Joseph in that way. Um the canon canonical form doesn't reflect Mary and Joseph, as I said, at all. But if it's something that God is telling you to do and you feel that yes that the altar of Christ isn't enough that you need to go and do that as well I'd be very careful but if he's saying the altar of Christ is good and I will meet that within this at the same time and join it to it then of course that could be um, legal and good too but it must be knowingly um, in alignment with communion with God first and then only then would all these other things be important like for example um, you know, you would start looking at, okay, if it's the altar of Christ, then you would f- both fully know that anyway and consent to it. Um, and it, In other words, it wouldn't be, you know, you wouldn't be just told to do it because it is the law or, you know, if you're going to such and such, you must do this. Three, they must understand what marriage is. In other words, for Catholics, they believe that the first reason for marriage is procreation. I don't believe that at all. The reason for marriage is always what God intends first. So everything should be based upon the commandment one, placing God first. And God will have different reasons for different types of unions. And it is not always going to be just procreation. Although that is part of the very first um, and the very um, start of creation at a very early stage. We're not basing things anymore on the old covenant and on the way things used to be in terms of with Adam and Eve. So there is a new covenant, there is a new way and it's of a higher level, of a higher degree. It's not always going to be just about procreation. It would never be just about flesh matters or um, that kind of style of thing. It's going to be about putting the spirit first. So the... Um, the main, um, you know, element of marriage, I would say, is the union with God and the example of that showing in the life that you have with others. And so therefore, union is a second one. First one's procreation, second one's union within the Catholic Church, and the other one's to get your partner to heaven so I would say that the first is about um encouraging heaven in the other and that is pretty much unitive and then procreative thereafter I wouldn't say it's procreative first absolutely not okay always God first so and the other person right so the next thing is um for they must 
intend fidelity to each other. Okay, so that's just an obvious one. The reason that you'd marry is um, because you're understanding you're brought together by Christ. That's not something that is um, broken. It's something that is forever anyway. It's eternal because it is um, your, literally your other half. So your fidelity to them is also basically a reflection of your fidelity to yourself and to, and to God, God first within yourself. So that makes sense. Number five, they must have the physical, psychological ability to follow through with their intentions. Um, yes, this is true. Um, they, you must be able to follow through with your intentions to be able to um, be united in getting the other person um, or keeping the other person rather in heaven on earth and um, so you must have that continual devotion to God that must be what is the basis psychologically and then that'll inform mentally how you go about that and also your physical actions as well as your own physical being and how you are within that um, as there can be Obviously, in ascension, there can be attacks on, um, on people and on couples. I don't know that I would say like get the first sort of like form of someone having difficulty that you would just say, okay, that makes you invalid, um, get lost, <laughs> unless of course God suggests that. But um, I think you'd have to be a little bit more mature with regards to those things, and um, you would have to remain. Uh, faithful to God and your partner that even when they went or under when anything psychological or physical that you could help them through that because that is what their number three is about getting your partner to heaven which I would say is the first in terms of union with God it's equally first six the marriage must have been consummated um, except in a Josephite marriage um, and so um, that is the Catholic idea of that but obviously there is a Josephite marriage um, which the Catholic Church allow with their consent and so you would actually go into that with particular vows that are uniquely different from the mainstream type of marriage. Of course, God can justify that as it is, um, but that would be the Catholic version. Okay, so any lacking in any of those would make, under Catholic law, would make your marriage invalid. Okay, so I think I've managed to discuss straight away what comes to mind in terms of um, the Holy Spirit, in terms of God and how God sees us. I've done that since the beginning. 
um, I've managed that, I've completed that. Now, the reason for this is that, you know, we hear that so many Catholics are brought to the altar just because it's an altar, just because it's a church altar. And that's why it's a form of idolatry that um, that shouldn't be allowed is that, you know, it's not because of the altar of our church or a religion that people should be coming together. It's through the altar of Christ only. Okay. So, it can be extremely illegal to God if you're being brought together just because it's in a church, just because it's a certain religion. Unless the marriage has been, has been brought together by Christ, I would say, therefore, it's illegal straight away. There's only one, and that is God. So this is very much based upon the first commandment, placing God first. If God has brought both to the altar of God, with God, with Christ, then it is effectively legal. That in itself is justification for a marriage. Then if, and only if, God said um, that you're to get married in a Catholic church or a particular type of church, then that would be valid. But it wouldn't be valid it would actually be highly illegal to get married in a church if you weren't brought together by God. That would be extremely illegal. And that's why there are so many divorces because people are not going to um, to get married by God or by Christ, but they're looking for justification in the flesh of the sacrament in a church. So they're looking for external justification because they were never internally justified by God. Oh, glory to God. Okay, that was just so good. So I am now moving on to the next part. Um, you know, so just to highlight that, um, people who are illegally getting married in the Catholic Church or any other church for that matter are divorcing at such huge rates because they were never internally justified by God by being brought to the altar of Christ. So they were seeking exterior justification in the glory of the flesh by going to a church to get married, thinking that that would just make it legal and right. When it doesn't, it makes it highly illegal unless you've been brought to the altar by Christ, which means you're justified anyway. There's no need for a second um, or anything else. But many people, the reason they're divorcing is because they were never lawfully brought together by God in the first place. They just thought that a Catholic church or some other uh, church or a um, set of marriage um, vows and a certificate would just make it all right. It doesn't make it all right. It is not okay. It's not legal. Okay, so um, we move on Therefore, What if people have got into a situation where they... Um, they don't have validity in terms of their marriage. So first of all, your marriage wasn't brought by Christ. You try to externalize it by going to church or you didn't even try that. She weren't even aware of it at all that you were brought together by Christ. In either case, both of them are illegal. Whether you've got married in a church or whether you haven't and Christ wasn't present, you weren't brought to the altar by Christ, that means you're illegal in terms of your union. So your your union is only legal with Christ. So what can you do? And um, what would God say can you do in that situation? Well, that's why divorce is a grave offence against the natural law. It is a grave offence against the natural law because um, what God has joined, let no man put asunder. Um, 
that is biblical that no one that is brought together by God like no one okay so that's the main point and <laughs> that's why it makes it illegal that you know if you're coming together and you're not being brought together by Christ do you know that you're actually separating that other person and yourself from who they're meant to be with so you're putting asunder what God has already brought together in the spirit just because they're not together in the flesh so for example Let's just say God has a spouse for you, but you have, uh, you're not with them. Someone else and them and they have married unofficially, illegally in a Catholic church, but God didn't bring them together, but they married in a Catholic church or any other church. So they're illegally married because God didn't authorize it, but they thought they could just authorize it themselves in the human flesh. So glorifying in the flesh to justify themselves because they wanted to have sexual relationship and not be made a fool of or whatever the story may be. So they thought that would make it legal, but they're highly illegal because God didn't bring them together and God actually intended for one of those spouses to be married to someone else. Now you have an extremely illegal really bad problem because let no man put asunder that which God has joined together. So you're actually committing a grave offence by being married to someone that you're not legally brought together by. If you have come together just to glorify in the flesh, in other words, just to get married in the church, but God didn't bring you together, you are committing a grave offence. You're also committing a grave offence against the the spouse Um especially if it's not being brought together by God and just for the sake of doing it in a church, um, whatever the reason, or even if you haven't. Let's just say you haven't got married in church, but you've got married or you've bound yourself to someone, you're having like a fornicative relationship um, out with a church marriage um, and you don't believe that you're being brought together by God, but you're still having a relationship like that, you're committing a grave offence. But both are just as bad as the other. They're both fornication. They're both in um, in a shape and form, adultery towards God and adultery towards the spouse that God has set aside for you that is legal. All right. So God brings and only God can bring a couple together. So if God has an idea and an authorization and authorship over two people and sees these two people in the world that they're meant to be together, anyone who's preventing that is actually in grave offence. They're tearing asunder the actual authorship of God. So if you're um, hoarding and coveting a spouse that you know God hasn't meant for you, that spouse and even you are meant for someone else. Now you're preventing yourself and the other person from getting to heaven. What can you do about it? If you've got married in the Catholic Church there is something that can be done about it. So all of the six different um, reasons for validity or um, rather values that must be present for validity need to remain there. Obviously, you would have done the first step, which is canonical um, form. So you'll have done that in the church if if this is the church one we're talking about. So that would um, not be something that you could argue against. You must freely and knowingly choose it. Okay, so remember, it's not just about you freely and knowingly choosing it. Um, But you must do that in Christ, through Christ. So if you didn't have Christ in you choosing this, you wouldn't actually be choosing freely. 
because in Christ you have freedom. It's the devil that binds you or bounds you to sin and to do things that are wrong. He will confuse you. He will um, say to you, if you don't go to church and get married, this is an outright sin, even although the person that you're with is not the one that you're meant to be with. So he will confuse you and trick you into getting a marriage with someone that you're not even supposed to be with. So you didn't choose freely. You were choosing by the bounds of the condemnation of the devil. Oh, Jesus, rebuke the devil. Oh my goodness, glory to God. Okay, and then next. So that's that's it already. If you weren't choosing in Christ, you were doing it for other reasons, like I just need to justify this, or the Catholic Church will tell me that I am terribly sinful if that's the condemnation of the devil. So you're not doing it because Christ's absolutely upon this and is in this and is choosing this with you, then you haven't chosen freely and knowingly choose it with consent. You have chose chosen it by being bound to the devil who is condemning you. So you have done it through binds to the devil in the demonic realm. That means number two, if that's there, that's it. You have an invalid marriage. All of these must be present for you to um, have a valid marriage. If that wasn't present, you have an invalid marriage and therefore a reason for divorce. Another one, let's have a look. They must understand what marriage is. Okay, so um, again, it, the main understanding is the first one is um, in alignment with the very first commandment. If in doubt, always go to the first commandment, put God first. So marriage is something that God authorizes, put God first. God has authorized this marriage. If you didn't know that and you just thought, oh my gosh, I better get married because let's just say you were in sin and you had a fornicative relationship and you were about to bring forth a child, you thought, oh, um, I should get married because... Um, so obviously that would be an invalid marriage because you would be doing it again, not through God. <laughs> you would be doing it because of the condemnation of the devil um, and for reasons that are devilish. You wouldn't be with this person for the right reason. That doesn't mean to say that the children from that are devilish. Every child is a child of God and is legal and legitimate. But it does mean that your, your marriage is not legal. It's illegitimate. Okay, so you must understand all aspects of it. If you, let's say you and your partner didn't understand that, you know, you had to be open to life and uh, they just thought, well, they could just, you know, have like, um, a relationship with you that's devilish uh, and you use you or you use them uh, in terms of like a sexual relationship and use contraceptives for example then that would be an invalid marriage you're not doing it um, for the goodness of each other you're not doing it for sanctified levels you're doing it for a use of flesh and that's devilish again so that's a marriage of sin um, that's a marriage to the devil so you would have an invalid marriage okay so anything else, what the openness to church? So if you didn't understand that, if you didn't understand that it was unitive, procreative, um, depending upon God's will, and or um, to get your partner to heaven, then it's not valid because that's what makes it brought by God. Or these elements will be part of um, what tells you that it is from God but it's not the these are not the only ones you can understand this but just because you understand it 
doesn't necessarily mean that that particular marriage with that particular person is what God's asking you to do. For example, someone could have a knowledge of that's what makes um, a marriage, but it doesn't mean to say that they can then jump into a marriage with just anyone. It must come to the altar of Christ and be brought together and authorized by Christ first. Knowledge of something doesn't make it valid. It's the putting it into practice with the appropriate valid person brought forward to you by God. Okay, but in any case, you still must understand that if you didn't understand, if there was difficulty, if there was immaturity, if there was um, a mental illness or something like that, then that would be an um, invalid marriage. They must intend fidelity to each other. So obviously in marriages between two people and um, if you're brought by Christ, then you would definitely understand this. But if you're just getting married for, fl- married for flesh reasons and justification from the church, chances are you're, very, um, uh, you're an infidel to God. No, not chances. Definitely you're an infidel to God because your adultery towards God and God's will has already occurred. So you're obviously going to be more likely to be adulterous to, therefore, not just only yourself, but your partner, if you've already been adulterous to God and gone after a marriage just for flesh reasons. Um, So if that is the case, that will often mean that, you know, you'll see levels of unfaithfulness because the level of unfaithfulness already begun between you and God. So there's not likelihood that you'll be able to maintain that in the marriage with the person that you just came together for flesh reasons for or for just because it was in a church and you thought it made you look um, sort of like you were doing the right thing, but you were secretly not doing it by God. So there was no secret covenant. Uh, you know, there's no, in the hidden place, there isn't a secret covenant with God. It's like just you trying to do it to justify yourself. So it's false, falsifying. And from falsifying, you're going to be unable to be faithful anyway in all other manners. So if you didn't intend this, obviously, it's unlikely you would have intended this in, unless you were brought together by God and justified by God um, yourself. So infidelity is um, definitely a reason for an invalid marriage and a divorce. They must have the physical, psychological ability to follow through with their intentions. I think it would be pretty sad if someone ended up, you know, um, something happened to them. Um, and then someone just said, right, that's it. I think a, ma- a marriage is for life. Um, and no matter what, you should be doing all you, that you can to promote that person to go to heaven and you should be helping them psychologically or physically. Um, but if they don't take help for it, um, that is seen as the um, a reason for an invalid marriage. Or if they always had that from the start when, you know, you got married, um, it, it would just... To be honest with you, I just don't understand how they're allowing these to come to the to the altar in the first place. It's just all ridiculous. Anyway, six, the marriage must have been consummated. Okay, so if, if the marriage wasn't consummated in a, a Catholic um, marriage, that would mean that, you know, you are not um, valid in terms of your marriage. But the, there is a difference for those of a Josephite marriage. It's actually a, the antithesis. So if you consummated it, then your marriage would be invalid in terms of a Josephite marriage. That's a really important one that hasn't been established in that video that I listened to. So if you consummated your marriage, um, but you had a Josephite marriage, you would actually be in an invalid marriage in a Josephite marriage. That would make that one invalid. You'd no longer be married. 
under those virus and laws and rules and regulations. Okay, so, um, wow, that one at the end has never really been looked at by anyone, so I'm really thankful I've got that over. So, what can you do? Well, if you got married in the church, obviously, you would have grounds for a divorce upon those um, reasons. But that's why it's important not just to go ahead and marry anyone and do make sure you are authorised by God. It's so important. Okay, um, because it is, divorce is a grave offence. And if you don't comprehend what divorce is or what God is or what God's saying is all right and what God's saying is not all right, then, you know, I think even false condemnation, like you may not have done anything wrong, but the impact that might have on your mental health, your psychological health could be almost grave and you could take yourself to the grave unnecessarily um, through worry or fear, even if you haven't done anything wrong, let's say, um you didn't realise certain aspects of this and you have to get divorced. Well, if you didn't take it seriously at the start, you could be in an extremely difficult position worrying over um, nothing, um, especially if you've been forgiven by God because of certain things or maybe it was the other person's fault, for example. Um, maybe you're growing and learning in your, um, in your mind and the other person hasn't. And therefore you're like, oh my goodness. And then you've realized it's wrong. Um, and then you have to divorce and then you're worried because that's a grave offense. It's not a grave offense if, um, for example, as we say, you um, have certain things that have happened um, that just make it absolutely impossible for you to live with that person for example that they are abusive or improper in their conduct that they're being um you know they're having infidelity all that kind of thing you're not meant to suffer abuse so it is actually if you are putting up with that it's actually more of a grave offense to put up with that than it is to have a divorce so the divorce is actually um you know as i say it depends on what it is if it if you're doing it out of sin. So one person could be guilty of the sin if they are the one that's causing all the problems in it. So if divorce is not a sin, then you can receive Holy Communion as well. So that's for people that are like um or have been receiving Holy Communion. But you must be careful how you do this because again, you shouldn't be doing it in a way or a place where it's offered up as a sin offering or um like you're under the sacrificial like perpetual um, sacrificing of Jesus Christ and offering Jesus Christ up again because he's not meant to undergo that that's an enemy to Christ as Christ says and I have said today um he's offered up once and for all but he will be waiting until all those of his enemies who don't believe in that are made footstools under his feet so be very careful um right what about annulment so you can have something annulled um, whether you're married in um, a Catholic church or an, um, another church or not at all, you can have it annulled and you don't actually need the other person present to, to go ahead and to do that. Like, for example, if you've tried everything and they don't even want to, they don't want to like, annul anything, they don't want a divorce or whatever, you can like seek annulment. It is an official statement um, that one of the conditions for a valid marriage isn't present. So that's all you need is like one of the conditions to make the marriage valid. You need that to be not present. Um, 
and that makes it annulled. So um, the point is that they believe that even if the civil government says you are dissolved of your marriage commitment, if all of the conditions were present um, to make your marriage valid, the Catholic Church would not see you as um, being divorced. They would state that you're committing adultery because you've tried to dissolve something that God has brought together and is still valid. So if it has every point from one, two, three, four, five, and six, um, obviously remaining, the Catholic Church would see you as being adulterous. So if you were brought together in the Catholic Church, you knew freely um, and gave your consent, um, you understood what marriage is all about, still do, an intention to be... Um, uh, you must intend fidelity to each other. Well, I'd say that's that's kind of where you're going. You're going wrong. So immediately, um, but if you did intend that to begin with, also, um, that you have physical and psychological ability to carry through the intentions, and that the marriage is consummated, they would see that you are being adulterous. So they would say that you're you're the one that is um in. Um, contravention of the validity number point number four intending fidelity because obviously you don't you're not you've broken that by getting married someone else or trying to or to dissolve it so that I would say would kind of like um answer itself in a way to be honest with you but it would still be um adulterous if you were just doing it and you didn't intend to do it but um and the person the other person didn't um but you went ahead and got married to someone else anyway so that would be a form of adultery under the catholic church in any case a form of idol- uh, adultery would definitely i would go a step um higher than that because um i don't put any middleman <laughs> in the way and i i'm very kind of high in terms of <clears throat> what god believes so anything i say that if you're getting married to anyone that's not of god and it's not been brought together by God, that is a form of adultery, um, essentially, itself, and is a grave, grave matter. <clears throat> Very dangerous. Um, okay. In any case, um, for people that are married, it's important to... Um, even if you think you've got a non-valid marriage, it's always important to pray and to try and work it out. So what they would do in the Catholic Church is you could separate upon um, you know, having clearance from the church to do so. But that would be under the guidance of that you would be praying that it worked out and the other person would be as well so that you would come back together. And in that time of separation, you're not supposed to be using that to date others because obviously that would be a form of adultery. Um, yeah, I mean, that's obviously a belief whether you are married in a church or not. Um, it's completely under God. If you're doing that, it's always a form of adultery because God doesn't intend that in any case with anybody ever. Okay, so until the annulment is given, union is considered valid. It is always assumed that a marriage is valid until there is an annulment. So 
Um, that's the Catholic stance on this. A declaration of nullity, a, um, a determination that a marriage was never in existence could actually even be given as well for some people. Um, deceit is also another um, area for um, annulment. Like, for example, if someone made out they intended to be um, faithful, but then they didn't actually really mean that and then they weren't. Um, so you came together believing that, <clears throat> that they would be faithful and then all of a sudden they're saying they're dating 10 different people or dating lots of different people and you're thinking, what? So in other words, like polygamy um, or that kind of thing um, is obviously, you know, you you got together not knowing that they were going to be so weird, um, but you thought you were doing the right thing. Uh, it could be annulled because of that. Pray about it. It's really important. Um, you know, if you pray, you can actually be <clears throat> free from the spiritual bond. But that is the reason for, for any annulment is that even although, um, you know, you think, well, it doesn't matter, you know, even if you've been like married or you've had a union of some sort to yourself, what the Catholic Church says is, is that <clears throat> even if you are not deciding to ever marry again and you kind of like hope that it would work out and the person would come round to their senses if you've tried everything and they haven't it's not always a good idea just to remain ongoing in life um because you could be committing a sin unknowingly to yourself and to god by maintaining some sort of bond to that past person unless you go through processes um, you know, what you bind, what you loosen is the same in heaven and earth. So if you go through a proper process of annulment, it can help to release you and the other person from any spiritual bond. So it just means that you can move on um, with clarity. It's never good to be carrying different kind of bonds and things like that. Again, it's adulterous to God and to any future partner. Um, what about people that, that don't put the church first they can yeah I would say that you could probably you could do whatever you need to do um through God but the thing is if you're brought by God um to the altar it's going to be kind of an you know you're not really going to be looking to this but if it was brought together and you intended something but the other person was deceitful um an annulment can be done in a spiritual way through prayer um, to release you from those bonds, but you have to pray to God and put God first in that to do that. Um, for an actual annulment with the church, as I said, it doesn't have to have a spouse that's present there. You can just move forward with it. It will still move forward. Um, and again, just a reminder, there must be consent, capacity in terms of um, mental awareness and capability and they believe married in the church, but we know we don't do that. We believe, obviously, consent and capacity in married in Christ. So in any decision, in any form of commitment that you have made to render it valid or invalid, there is just one important aspect to consider. Ever, ever, 
Okay, just out of reverence, so I'm going to say this properly. There is only one consideration that is ever important, and that is... Was it God and love that brought you to that altar? Or was it fear and condemnation and a trying to do right by other people? Hmm. Okay, there's a lot in this one and I just give thanks to God for this, um, for the ability to discuss this and look into this in further depth and really to bring home the important factor of validity, which is that of the presence of Christ and love. Doing things out of love, not sacrifice, invalid. Sacrifice is invalid. So any form of anything that's under, um, or not under, rather, <clears throat> if you haven't been brought under God, you're in Antichrist and you're not valid. So if you're doing it out of sacrifice when God has already come to be the final sacrifice once and for all, then obviously that would make you and render whatever your commitment is invalid. So if it's a sacrifice, in other words, it's not out of love, it's just false. You just feel like you have to do it, otherwise you become condemned. You know, you're putting a lot of effort into it. You're not doing it in the rest of Christ. It doesn't feel right. You know, it's just giving a lot. You feel like you have to make up for something. That is not valid. That is the devil. That's doing something out of fear or obligation um, on its own rather than doing something out of love, freely flowing. The Holy Spirit's freely flowing in your life. You're freely flowing out of abundance of love. The love of the Holy Ghost inside you is what is making you do this and perform this commitment. It's free flowing, it's giving and it's receiving and it's right and righteous by God. It's got a nice, um, you know, flow to it. Okay, so we're going to look at what marriage really is. Um, it is the mirror of the Trinity. It's meant to mirror the Trinity. Um, the entire family is meant to mirror the Trinity. Obviously, um, the man at the head of the family. Um, so, you know, you've got the father. And then, of course, um, the um, beloved, the son. Um, you know got obviously not in terms of like sex but um and then the wife and then the holy spirit the child so it's meant to be um uh, a mirror of the trinity and what flows through the husband um in other words um uh, the one who is in submission to god if in submission to god will therefore for um be valid in christ and um be possible um, in terms of an actual head of the family and then the wife um, is therefore more capably able to then submit to the will of the husband because it's a flow from the Holy Ghost but it's a, a flow from God ultimately all the way down and so when that flows then through to the wife she can then be in submission to that mission and um, that flows through to the children in terms of how she looks after the children and um, how um, she is obviously um, mothering them 
and how they behave in the world is then a, a, a definite reflection upon um, what the marriage is in Trinity. And obviously that's why they say, I'm not going to go too far into this, but, you know, without a proper head of the family, everything goes squee with. So if the man isn't in submission to God, everything's all off track and that can have a detrimental impact on the wife. It can have a detrimental impact on children. And we know that this then therefore is a very serious because it can see the downfall of communities and the wider world. That's why until... The family is a mirror of the Trinity, truly. Um, communities in all around the world can suffer um, extraordinarily. Um, so it's the, the idea of marriage or the commitment, it's not just the idea, the commitment of marriage is huge. Um, your commitment, whatever you're committed to, has an impact not only on you, but on the entire world. So if you're committed to something because of sacrifice, because of wrongfulness, sinfulness, a link to the devil, condemnation, trying to do things to please others, you're going to impact negatively not only yourself, but you're going to negatively impact the entire world until you're doing things based upon God, which is love. So until you're doing things for love, not a sacrifice, because that's fulfilled by God. So until you're doing it in that belief of God, you're actually the antichrist and you're creating havoc across the world. Doing things in God is doing things in love and therefore you're creating peace, abundance in God's and will is being fulfilled in your life as you're mirroring yourself, the Trinity, but you're also able to um, be a part of that mirror in a wider sense in your family. So that's why the head of a family it has must be God and you must be brought to the altar of Christ and that's why even a marriage that is brought to an altar of a church can be very much the antichrist and very detrimental against God's will on earth and is illegal. So um, the highest form of anything is love, that is God. Um, and so how do we make it right? We make it right by first being in God and knowing that we're brought together by the altar of God. So the man, therefore, the head of the family is in Christ, is in God, in love and not out of just sacrifice or doing it because it looks good or kind of like, like the idea of being married and being called a husband. It must be authentic and you must be in love, not sacrifice for your commitment to be valid. So in Christ makes everything valid. That's love. So wives can then be subordinate to the husband um, in that way. Um, because he's under his mission, he's in mission with God. So then the wife can be in mission to her husband and God. And it says, love your wives even to the point of death as Christ loves the church. You must be able to lay down your life, your former ways, any ways that you were sinning or committing sacrifices or whatever you were doing that you were doing for the devil. You must denounce the devil and you must turn to God and do things for love, not sacrifice. So you must be willing to lay down the old ways where you were doing things just out of condemnation or to look good or to kind of look good for idols of the world. In other words, the devil. Um, and you must be willing to lay that down and stop it and put love first. In other words, God first. Then when you're able to lay down your life in that way, your old life, to bring forth a new creation in love at the highest form, 
the wife can be in submission to the husband to do that and they can bring forth a family in union, harmony, respect and in the will of God and in the mission of God and for the kingdom, to the glory of the kingdom. This brings fulfilment. Subject to each other, um, just in different ways. Um, and yeah, it's just very clear that, you know, a wife cannot submit if a man is stepping all over the toes and the husband is perpetually abusive, for example, or has to, you know, if he can't submit to God, then a woman cannot submit to him. And that is, that makes an invalid commitment or invalid marriage. So very, very important. A wife can only submit if you're in Christ, if you're in love and you're not doing it for sacrifice. You're not doing it for reasons of idolatry, just because of how it looks, or this is the kind of rules, this is kind of like an outward appearance of this, or this is what I'm told to do. It's got to be authentic. It has to be in truth and in honesty in Christ, which is the presence of love over sacrifice. So thank you very much. And um, the next one I'll be doing is the Rosary Novena. Um, please do join later on today for that. And um, we are looking at the joyful mysteries today. How good. Blessings, everybody, and speak to you soon. Okay. Thank you so much. I'd just like to say thank you so much to, <clears throat> to everyone who's been so kind and who's sent us gifts, especially over Rosh Hashanah. Um, I was just eating a little bit. So if you hear me like coughing a little bit, don't worry. <laughs> it's just some beautiful tablet. I'm just not used to eating something that entirely sweet. It's beautiful. It's so nice. And it's from one of our friends. So thank you so much for the lovely tablet. So yummy. It's amazing. And also one of our other friends as well, um, who organised getting our windows all washed and cleaned. And, you know, I was actually thinking that. And I even, I said to a family member, I was like, can we just organise this? And, and, um, yeah, I really wanted to see that happen. The fact that she, one of our friends went ahead and organised that is just so kind. Blessings, blessings to all of you. You are so sweet and kind and may all your kindness be um, multiplied over to you too in your lives. May you continue in sweetness and may it just ever increase um, through the love of God for you, for, for all of us together. Thank you so much. Okay, I didn't intend to actually do that note of thanks here. It just came through as I was, I had to kind of inform you what, what was going on there with the eating of my tablet and things. Um, um, yeah, so tablet meaning the Scottish tablet, the kind that you eat that's sweet, not the device, right? So I'm going to go on to this. I meant to tell you and I meant to read out what I had said with regards to marriage. Now, bearing in mind, we're all ascending and this is my position on this at this time in terms of the Holy Spirit and what I can garner at this level. So I wrote back to Divine Mercy and this is what I said. Okay, oh no, wait a minute, that's just one part. Oh yes, so the first one I said was this. 
This concerns me on the topic of marriage again. So this concerns me. The Holy Family did not marry in a church, nor glory in the sacraments. In parenthesis, flesh. Close parenthesis. Aside from having Jesus registered alongside Mary's purification process, and they are the epitome, the epitome of the perfect married couple, their marriage was spiritually based, not religiously or church bound or based, which brought forth the perfect child of God, God himself. I would feel extremely tense about all this, especially with St. Paul's Galatian scripture and also my knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, I can never go against the Lord. I understand mercy, but I do not want to even tempt the Lord. I'm still perfecting, however, I just feel this would be a big slap in the face of God and everything our Lord died and rose for. The Spirit, God, and to move away from idolatry, ritualistic behaviour over God. I just couldn't. I don't know if some aspects of my thoughts on the topic will change with ascension. However, I've always been this faithful to God. Oh Jesus, I would be so scared to go against the Holy Family in such an outright manner. Marriage for life in the highest way is so beautiful though. But I guess, and I didn't write this, so the next part I'm telling you right now, in the here and now, I guess that is exactly what Mary and Joseph are the epitome of. That fullness of marriage at its highest sense and it is beautiful so let's look at the next um, message that I sent because they sent me one back and they talked about the Josephite marriage as well so that came into things yes they call it a Josephite marriage is what I was informed about and I was like okay so I looked into that and he said you know there can be arrangements made for a Josephite marriage in the church I was like oh okay and so a Josephite marriage is obviously one of chastity and it is namely a Josephite um, marriage people get married and have weddings in the church but that is not how Joseph and Mary were married they were married under the justification of God through God so it was a very pure marriage of the spirit but some people like to have celebrations as we know and this is going to go into the discussion of that and they'll do this in front of um, public or people or whatever in the church so there's a Josephite marriage which is a different type of marriage where there's no consummation as um, Divine Mercy pointed out so it's not one that is consummated so um, not in relation to that but other people wrote different things to me as well and I thought great and I wrote some things back and then I listened to the rest of the entire video which is such a treasure thanks be to God and to Divine Mercy for that and then I looked um, into it further and I took the notes that you're going to hear on here um, and then I wrote this. In fact, wait a minute, probably, yeah, that's right, I did. So finally managed to listen to all of the video. What a lovely gift. Thank you again so much. I absolutely bear witness to the beauty and the mercy and the want to guide the flock in covering all elements of the Bible and being most faithful to God overall. For me, God is sufficient as the head. I believe Mary and Joseph, as humble as they were, were the head and not the tail. Despite all reference to the conception Mary carried as the Alpha and the Omega, I believe that they were chosen 
due to their high level of consecration and would indeed not require anyone else to justify them outside of God. Yet, appreciate people wanting to draw this into some art form, romanticise it and somehow want to justify their own wish for such. It is not to say it didn't or it did not happen on another realm as the father has many mansions, yet the main point of the marriage is ultimately the fulfilling of commandment one and the high level of fiat every time. I do bear witness to the pleasing comfort many of these values written into law bestow. They are indeed beautiful. Who wouldn't want to be with her one forever and ever? Yet it's only through being with the one, truly accepting the one in Christ, that anyone of human and spiritual nature can recognise their equivalent in both spirit and in the physical life and therefore be brought to the altar of Christ. This to me is over and above all of these conditions in terms of what equals a valid union and certainly eventually a full marriage. It's all about God first. That is why so many people divorce or even so many annul from the church marriages because the altar of a church should not be the primary valid point of union. It clearly is not. Only God can authorise a marriage. Now, where this occurs and works and where people have the mercy of God to enter into a marriage covenant at church level, well, indeed, that truly would be all bases covered for those wishing to do this. Yet I believe if they truly had Christ, they would be justified in the spirit without requirement for justification in the flesh. Ultimately, it would be then entered consensually as you spoke of, and will be a want or a desire. Yet if truly in Christ, in no way a requirement. However, in understanding the want to protect the flock, it can be understood why this would be desired by the church at a large um, as a legal requirement. Immediate, set free from this, is only one of two complete lack of awareness, or its antithesis, entire awareness and faith in God. Praying for your sister. It is complicated because we want to comprehend becoming one flesh and therefore our ability as women to mother God to nurture the relationship and maybe it becomes difficult to figure when and if one, um, you know, when to figure out who's doing what and how to escape from the maze and ascend together in betterment. Yes, it is true. There has to come a point where you possibly see that you're set free in Christ and by Christ spiritually first, which is his setting apart, that no one is going along the same page because it is not the Father's will. Either that or you really don't know how to lead the situation and as you say, how do you submit to someone unless they are first submitted to God? Can women as mothers encourage that? Ultimately, though, I 100% agree that a woman should submit to a man and see no problem with this. I think it's beautiful, but it cannot occur unless the man himself has a higher alignment with God to offer, to therefore be under submission to. If a woman's alignment is higher, the man is always going to feel like he is emasculated, particularly if he has not grounded Hebrews 10. In other words, he is not in highest submission. The actual fact of Christ... Um, 
and therefore under his command and lead. I just had a vision, a revelation of something I've wondered about before as people become one, divide and ascend, become one and so on and so forth until they meet the one in heaven. I'm not suggesting this. It just came through as a revelation to the biological scientific ladder and why Paul mentioned people should avoid becoming married. In any case, to lead properly where I understand it, and my level, bearing witness to the Holy Spirit, is only through true acceptance of the Holy Spirit and believing 100% in Jesus Christ that allows divine lawful leadership. This, I believe, is what ties all of this together. Only Christ and true belief. It is not enough to read the gospel. To enter a marriage based on it, it has to be a marriage based in heart and soul engagement. True with Christ. Who believes in Christ from this church? not to offer up sacrifice and to accept Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. So, by that alone, we can deduce that until this is the case, all marriages are null and void without Hebrews 10 acceptance. Hebrews 10 acceptance is the key. It is the evidence of one's actions, which state clearly and show true faith. If you do not believe in Christ's once and final sacrifice, you don't believe in Christ and so therefore have no relevance for marriage anyway. Only someone in true faith can have a valid marriage brought to the altar by Christ through first full faith in Christ. Pure and simple, that's it. My goodness, glory to God. I've taken a photo of this. It's sitting on 144. Um, it's a little red marker, which is like a, a, obviously the recording, but that is the time. It is like one forty four. Wow. 